So uh, we continue with our series today um, on what keeps you up at night. And um, I mean, honestly, one of the things that keeps us up at night, uh, if we're normal, is money. Um, actually, uh, good research will tell us that if you have no money issues or you have very few money issues, then you are what would be classified as weird. Uh, and hey, weird is, is okay. Weird is okay in this one. But this is the normal for people is to struggle with money to a degree. And so in this series, uh, we've been looking at what keeps us up at night and we've been talking about doing things in a way that God lays out so that we can get some rest, so that we can know we are doing what God has laid on our hearts to do. See, because ultimately, uh, and, and you heard Haley talk about this in the video, one of the reasons we, we love to do those videos is because I think people just say things in a way that really help us make sense of it all, okay? And, and one of the things that Haley mentioned is, like, it's not going to be easy, it's not going to be simple. It's going to be tight at times. When I, when I look and do my money the way that God wants me to do it, it's not always going to be simple. Sometimes I'm going to go without. Sometimes I'm going to have to make hard choices. Sometimes I'm going to have to sacrifice. Sometimes I'm going to have to do a lot of things differently. But ultimately, when I lay my head down on the pillow at the end of the day, sleep is going to come so much easier. And sleep is going to come so much easier because I'll know in my heart, I'll know at the core of me, I'll know deep down, I'll know where it matters that my priorities are right and that because I'm following God and because the God of the Bible is faithful and true, I can know that it's going to work out okay. Not in a Pollyanna kind of a way, but in a faith-filled kind of way. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is the substance of knowing about things that we can't see. I know that when I follow God, it's going to be right. I can't see it necessarily. I can't touch it. Sometimes because my brain is broken and feeble and I live in a fallen, broken world and I'm messy and gross, sometimes I can't see how. I can't map out how. But what I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, is that it will. Because I have faith, and faith is the substance of knowing things that I can't see. It's the substance of having hope, rooted hope. Not wishful hope, but rooted real hope. And so as we, as we talk about things in this series about what keeps you up at night, the whole goal is here not to solve every problem you've ever had. But the goal is to understand what God says so that when we chase what God says, even though it's hard and even though it causes stress and even though there's, there's tension and even though these things happen, that when I lay my head down at the end of the night, I can be satisfied that I am chasing truth and that I'm chasing God. That's what this is about. And so we continue today and we continue with the topic of money because money keeps people up at night. For some of us... Um, we lay awake at night thinking about money because we don't have it. For some of us, we have a lot of it, and we stay awake at night wanting more of it or wanting to know if it's enough. And for some of us, um, we've got enough for right now, 
but we think about kids going to college and we think about retiring and we think about those things and we wonder, do we have enough there? And so we have to start to look at what does God have to say about this so that I can know I'm doing well, I'm doing right by him, I'm doing what's appropriate, what the Bible has called me to do so that when I lay my head down at night, I can get some rest, okay? And so we're going to jump into this. Um, and I'm going to tell you before we get too much further that I get that it's hard and I get that nobody wants to hear the church talk about money. I get it. Nobody wants to hear the church talk about money because when I talk about money, no matter what I say, there's this undertone that you experience, um, something because you've watched too many televangelists, um, something because there's, there's just too much in the news or this or that or whatever it is, but there's this underlying tone that you have that says, well, just Matt wants me to write a bigger check. Listen, I'm not going to tell you no, <laughs> but that's not why we're having this conversation. We're having this conversation because I live where you live, and I know that it's stressful, and I know that it's hard to sleep, and I know that if we did it God's way, just like everything else in life, it would be simpler, and I know that money is critical. Money is critical because we live in um, a culture that... Uh, offers this counterfeit. Uh, we've said before that we live in this culture of counterfeits. Okay, and in the culture of counterfeits, there are so many things that seem like they're going to be a great idea, that seem like it should really do the trick and it should really satisfy. And so we, we engage in, we partake in this culture of counterfeits only to find out that it didn't really work. Think about it like this. If you're having trouble tracking this, think about it like this. Your kids, or think back to when you were little, and you would go trick-or-treating, and you would get the big bucket of candy. And you would go to your room, and your mom would say something helpful like, only eat a little bit. And you would go to your room, and you would shut the door, and you would do what? You would devour it. Some of you are savers. I know some of you are sitting there going, no, I would save it. I would eat one piece a day for the rest of the year. Shut up. <laughs> because the rest of us, the rest of us would go in and we'd shut the door and we would devour it. And it's, it's this, it, it's so inviting and it looks so good and it tastes so delicious and it's awesome for a minute. For a minute. And then you're sick, and it hurts, and it's not right, and something doesn't feel good. That's what happens in this culture of counterfeits. There's things that tempt, and, and, and they're pleasing to the eye, and they're sweet to the taste, and they seem like it should be a good idea. But uh, the author of Proverbs, uh, Solomon, tells us in all of his wisdom, and he's got a lot of wisdom. We're going to hear from him today. He tells us, man, there is a, a, a path that seems like it should lead to life, but in the end... It leads to death. And, and it's this, this culture of counterfeit. And, and that's true, man, that's true when we talk about money and, and the things that it buys. It's true when we talk about relationships and sex. It's true when we talk about food. It's true when we talk about alcohol and drugs. It's, it's true when we talk about money. It's true when we talk about a lot of things. There's this counterfeit of cultures, and it feels like it should satisfy or it should be good, but in the end, it leads to death, and it doesn't satisfy, and it turns sour in the stomach. And so we have to navigate 
here a little bit. And the other thing that I'm sure you've heard, I'm sure you know, is simply that this is a big deal to Jesus. Jesus talks about money in the New Testament more than he talks about heaven and hell combined. And trust me when I tell you that Jesus cares about heaven and hell. Jesus cares about heaven and hell. His whole purpose in coming was to bring people into the kingdom of God, to bring them into the kingdom of heaven and rescuing them and paying a ransom to pull them out of hell. Those matter to him, but yet we see in scripture that he talks more about money and the things that it buys than he does about heaven and hell. Why? Because it matters. Because it's one of the things that Satan will use to pull your heart away from him. Here's what Jesus says. He says this in Matthew. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. See, Jesus knows something here. And, and here's the deal. Track me here. Understand this. Satan knows it too. Where your desires are, where your treasure is, where the thing that you value most, where that lives, that's where your heart is. And so this is this thing, and I, I love it. I, I heard Haley say it in the video again. She's like, you know what? When you give God your finances, man, everything else is just silly. Like, I'm not going to give God my finances and say, okay, God, you've got control of my finances. I'm going to do it your way and then get upset because he says, ooh, you know what? Probably you shouldn't watch that TV show. Okay, because I've given you my finances. I've given you this thing that's most critical in my human life. I guess I'll be obedient here in these littler things. See, Jesus knows where your, where your treasure is. That's where your heart will go with it. And so what happens is when you build up your own kingdom, your heart starts to stray away from Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I need your money. To, I need you to understand that your money is all about me and my kingdom don't misunderstand. I'm not saying it's all about the church. That's not what I'm saying at all. But when Jesus says your money is all about me, it's all about my kingdom, then what happens is my heart stays rooted with Jesus. And he continues. It's that same text he continues. And he says, look, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. That's just the way it is. You'll be devoted to one. You'll despise the other. And then he sums it all up with this. You can't serve God and money. You have to choose. That's the way this works, okay? And we say, well, why does the church talk about money so much? First of all, I don't think the church does talk about money so much. And if we do, it's simply because Jesus talks about it. And Jesus says, this is the plumb line. This is the dividing factor. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be. And that's simply it. And so we want to do this God's way so that we can get some sleep at night and we want to relax and we want to rest. And so uh, this is the way it goes. And we're going to jump in here and we're going to see the two things in this. We're going to look at the logic behind understanding that what, what money provides is this culture of counterfeit. And then we're going to look at the practical things that God tells us to do with our resources that he blesses us with. All right, so let's start here. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes. This is Solomon talking. Uh, Solomon uh, is the, the, the second king of Israel, David's son. Uh, in case you don't know, uh, when Solomon becomes king, he is out of his depth and he knows it. But God, because he honors him, God says to Solomon, hey, ask me for something and I am going to give it to you. Solomon could have asked for wealth, he could have asked for riches, he could have asked for a lot of things, but Solomon says, you know, God, here's what I want. I am ill-equipped to be king, so make me wise. And God says, I will. I will make you wiser than anyone. 
you will be wise beyond compare. People will flock to you to hear your wise counsel and to hear your wisdom. And we see in history, that's what happens, right? And God says, because you chose wisely, right? Think night, Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones and the last crusade is like, you chose wisely. Because he chose wisely, God gives him all of these other things too. The things he could have asked for but didn't, God blesses him with those as well. Um, but there's a lesson there for us because those blessings, because he's not careful, turn into curses. You know the story, right? That Solomon is blessed with much, but his heart travels to those things. His heart wants to accumulate more and more and more. Solomon collects He collects statues and trophies and gold and silver, and he builds up his treasury. He's got stables of thousands of the finest horses. He collects women. Scripture tells us he has a thousand concubines. You name it, he collected it. And his heart went that way. And what does Jesus tell us? He's like, man, where your heart is, where your treasure is, where, where all your st- that's where your heart will be. And Solomon messes it up, and he knows that. And so here at the end of his life, he's writing the book Ecclesiastes. This is this wisdom book about life and meaning and purpose and value. If you've never read Ecclesiastes, I would encourage you to. It's a great, great book when you understand what Solomon's doing and what he's writing about. And here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 5.10. He says this, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income, and this too is meaningless. And this is in a long list of things that are meaningless, and this is what uh, Solomon tells us here. He's like, look, if you love money, then you will never have enough money. And there's no caveat to that. There's no until. You know, most people that... that, uh, um, In this culture, you know, I could give you the pep talk. In this culture, we're rich. We know we're rich. Even the poorest among us is rich compared to world standards and all that stuff. But what Solomon is saying is, no matter how much you have, if you love money, if money is the desire of your heart, you will never have enough money. And and that ferrets out in good research. If you ask people, what do they need to feel rich? Do you know what the answer always is? I mean, no joke, there's legit research that will tell you this. The answer is double. You make $20,000 a year, they ask you, you fill out the survey, you answer the questions to feel like you have enough, to feel like you're finally going to make it, that you're, you're rich in worldly standards. You know what you feel like you need? You feel like you need $40,000 a year. You make $100,000 a year, well, that's great. You're better than you used to be, but you know what? You know what you really need to feel satisfied? You need two hundred. dollars You make a million, it doesn't end. You know what would really cause you? You could get the boat you've always wanted. You could get the house that you always wanted. You could get the different cars. You know what would finally make you feel rich? Is if you made $2 million a year. And and, and that's just good research. And what that tells us is that Solomon knows exactly what he's talking about with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. He says, look, if you love money, you're never going to have enough of it. Who you, when you love wealth, when wealth drives you, you are never going to be satisfied with your income. And so one of the first things we understand, if you are losing sleep at night over money, then perhaps the issue, not for sure, but perhaps the issue is, man, you just love it way too much. 
Perhaps it has a hold on you that you don't even realize. Perhaps it drives you in a way that you don't know. And you go to bed at night and you worry about it and you stress about it and you're not satisfied with it because you will never be satisfied with it. Because you've made it to be something that it's not. And some of you are like, man, man, just because I like money doesn't mean I love money. I get that. So I'm going to use an old counselor trick that we used to use when people would come in to see me for counseling. And, and it would be the, okay, I'm not saying that you love money, but let's say this. What would someone act like that did love money? Let's act as if Joe walks in and Joe loves money. What would Joe act like? Not that Joe. This was a made-up Joe. I forgot there was a Joe here. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Joe was always my counseling made-up person. So uh, unless I had a client named Joe, and then we'd come up with something else. But Joe comes in, and, and Joe loves money, and Joe want, wants to, to say, ah, oh, I like it. I like what it provides me, but I don't love it. So okay. Well, let's look at Joe and say, if Joe loved money, what would he do? And we'd start listing the things that Joe would do. And say, well, man, that looks an awful lot like your life. That looks an awful lot like the way you do things. So maybe you're saying, I don't love money, but you're sure acting like you do. You know, I sacrifice family time because, because I need to make more. Or I need to hold on to what we've got. Yeah, I know there's a need in my family, people that I love and care for and, and that I want to help. But, but you know what? I worked hard for that. It's mine. I'm not sharing it. You know, and yeah, boy, it would be nice to, to do that as a family and provide that or, or, or to help with that or to give generously here, but oh, I'm not going to do it. Or you know what? Yeah, I know that I haven't seen kids in a while, but man, they're offering chant double, you know, time and a half. <sighs> yep, I'll keep working on Sundays. That's no big deal. I don't need to be in worship. And so eventually we start to say, well, maybe you don't love money. Maybe you're right, but boy, you're acting a, a whole lot like you do. And Solomon is so clear here. He's like, man, when you love money, you will never have enough of it, which basically means the cycle will continue for as long as you live. That is meaningless. That's what he says. This too is meaningless, meaning this will never give you what you need. You could chase after money and you could get money and everybody would look at you and say, man, you are set. But you and your heart would never be satisfied. And there's a reason for that. The reason that you'd never be satisfied in your heart is because money and the things that it buys are not supposed to do that for you. See, here's, here's the thing that you got to understand. Money and things will never truly satisfy the longing of your soul because that's not what God intended them to do. God didn't create them to do that. See, everything that your money provides you, okay, is great. Assuming that it's not sinful. I mean... Obviously, you get that, right? If, if you're spending your resources on things that are rooted in sin, that's a problem, okay? But otherwise, the things that your money provides you are fine. Money is something we would call amoral, which means money isn't right or wrong. It's not good or bad. Money is a lot like movies, a lot like music, a lot like, I'm going to say this and it's going to bother some of you, but a lot like Facebook, it's not good or bad. It's amoral. Whether or not it works for good or for bad in your life depends on what your intent and your attitude is. 
That's the way this works. But God provides you money and resources, but not so they can make you eternally happy. God provides you money and resources so that you can do something called steward them. We're going to get to that in a second. But money and things will never truly satisfy because that's not what God wanted them to do. But listen, I get it. There is something that your heart longs for. And in a culture of counterfeits, what Satan has done is he's led us to believe that the things that we can engage in with the culture, that that's what's going to satisfy our longing. For some of you here, that thing is sex. Man, you just want sex, and, and it's, it's the idea of sex, and that's why some of us get, get stuck in, in pornography. For some of you, it's, it's alcohol uh, or other drugs, you know, for some of you, it's the need for a companion, which is why you end up in relationships that aren't healthy or that are way too fast that you shouldn't be in yet, um, or, or whatever the case is. But we've got this culture of counterfeits, and, and Satan, because he's good at what he does, he tells us, this is the thing that your heart longs for and that you desire. This is going to make you whole. This is going to make you right. And so I get it, and it's a new iPhone, and it's awesome for like a second because guess what comes out next? The iPhone 10. You realize they skipped over nine. <laughs> Can somebody explain to me why that is? We went from eight to 10. I guess it's two steps better. I don't know. But it only satisfies for a second. It's only good for a second. It's a culture of lies, culture of counterfeit. And Satan knows what he's doing. But the thing that your heart really is desiring, the thing that you're made for, get this, Ecclesiastes 3.11, the first part of that says this. This is Solomon again. He's saying like, that money, meaningless. Women, meaningless. Accolades, meaningless. All of it, knowledge, wisdom, power, meaningless. Here's what it's about. Because God has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has set eternity in the human heart. See, the thing that you have to understand here is that God has set eternity in your heart. See, the thing that you can't articulate, or at least the thing that most of you can't articulate, is that you have a craving for something transcendent, for something eternal. It's like when you get done at dinner and you're hungry, but you don't know why. And you don't know what for. How many of you have that? You get done with dinner. Dinner was fine, but you're hungry. For some of you, you want ice cream. You just, you, it, the night's not done until you get ice cream. I get that. For some of you, it's just this, man, I could have had pizza. I get that too. Some of you, it's a cup of coffee. It's like the day is just not complete until I have that one more thing. See, and this is what your heart is like, because God has planted the best thing ever, eternity, onto your heart. God has put eternity in you. You are hardwired for something more than this. And the culture of counterfeits will say, well, this will, this will finally satisfy. This will finally fill it. This will find. You go to bed at night because it, it feels like it's not complete. You go to bed and you struggle and you stress and you toss and you turn and you can't sleep because it feels like there should be something else. And for a lot of us with money, we say, well, if the house was bigger then it would finally make sense. If my TV was bigger, it would finally make sense. Man, if I could get rid of this flip phone, then who's got one? 
couple of you, if I could get rid of this flip phone, then it would finally work the way it's supposed to work. Or if I could, if I could have a better car, or if my retirement account was a little bigger, or if my emergency fund was, instead of being three months, it was nine months. And, and I, we stress over this because we are hardwired for something else. But Solomon says, man, what you're hardwired for is eternity. You are hardwired for eternal things. And nothing temporary is ever going to fill the eternal need. That's why you can chase and chase and chase and fill and fill and fill. And you will still toss and turn when you go to bed at night because it's not ever enough. Because you are hardwired for something transcendent. See, this is the thing that I need you to know more than anything else about money and the stuff that it buys. If you are looking for happiness in it, you will be miserable. But because Satan hates you and because Satan wants you to be miserable and because he's good at what he does, you will continue, unless you're intentional and mindful and purposeful, you will continue to think that the next thing is the one that will make a difference. The next relationship. The next purchase. The next car. The next size up. The next promotion. I don't care what it is, but you're going to keep looking for what's next. And ultimately, Solomon, who knows, says, man, you were made for eternity. You are hardwired for eternity. It's in your heart. That's what you're longing for. Nothing else will ever satisfy. All the other stuff will just continue to feel meaningless. It'll work for a second, and then it goes. It's like eating soup with a spoon. No, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. It's like eating soup with a fork. That makes much more sense. All right. It's like eating soup with a fork, right? You get a taste, but it's not going to satiate you. It's not going to satisfy you. You're not going to get what you need out of it. Okay? And so there are three practical things. If we want to start to sleep better at night, one is just understanding, okay? But, but once we understand that money is not going to fill that void, that is a God-sized eternal thing that we need to deal with. So if that's not what money is for, what's it for? What do we do with it? Well, there's three things, and we're going to cover these relatively quickly. Uh, first thing, we're supposed to give generously. And you're like, aha, I knew it. I knew he was going to tell me I was supposed to give. Of course I was. Because God says it. Okay? You are supposed to. Look, I, I mean, I know it, it's not in vogue for pastors to should you and the church to tell you what you must do, but you should engage in the tithe. You should engage in a generous lifestyle. That is the way that God has mandated it. And I love that Haley remembered this. Um, you heard her talk about, like, the idea of stewardship, but this is exactly what this is. Stewardship is one of those things where we understand that what we have is ours to spend, but it does not belong to us. When you are the steward of something, you are what we would think of as the caretaker. You are in charge of it, but you don't own it, right? 
Um, let me think of an easy example. John Anderson. John Anderson kind of serves these days as the steward of the physical building of Blessed Hope Church, right? He takes care of it to a large degree. Man, some siding flew off last week. I don't know if you guys noticed that when it was rainy and windy and snowing, and all of a sudden the siding wasn't on the church anymore. Somebody sends John a text, hey man, the siding fell off. Next thing I know, John's here. He's roped Dick in and, and, and to helping him, and they're up there. And by the time they leave on Monday afternoon, the siding is back on the wall, and, and the church looks like it always did, and everything's good. Pipes break, and, and John's here, and he's messing with pipes, and he's doing stuff. He is stewarding the facility. Man, if I show up one day, and there's a for sale sign out front, because John's decided that he's done, and he's going to sell this thing, we're going to say, well, that's one too far. See, you've been asked to steward the resource, but it never was your resource. That's what your money is like. You've been given it to steward it, but you've never been given it to make it wholly your own. Like if I gave, you know, thinking back to, to, to when Riley was in high school or the kids were, were littler, you know, I mean, if, if it was date night for Carrie and I and we're like, okay, we need you kids gone. And parents, you've been there. We need kids gone. And I say, Riley, here's 50 bucks. Take them to dinner. Take them to a movie. And then you can keep the rest. And Riley said, okay, guys, we are eating macaroni and cheese. <laughs> and I'm renting you a red box. <laughs> I would have a problem with that. Because that's not what I asked her to do with my resources that I gave her. I asked her to steward them on my behalf. See, we get confused because we, we and, I, and I do it too, we use, we use the term our, it's our money, it's our resources, it's my house, it's my cars, it's, it's my stuff. No. It's the stuff provided to me by the God of the universe and I steward it well. That's why your house should always be open. I'm not like talking like in the middle of the night or anything, but that's why your house should be open. You know what? Church is over. There's family you don't recognize. There's people you don't know. You know what? Your house should be open and say, you know what? Why don't you come home with me? Let's eat some lunch. All I got's leftovers. You know what? That's what I can offer you because that's what I have and I can offer it to you. Your home should be open because it's not really yours. You've been given it, but you've been given it to steward. the way this works. That's the way God intends it. And so you are to give generously because that's God's heart. Um, and you are to give first, the, something called the first fruits. Um, you aren't to wait until your budget is done and over with and it's the end of the month and figure out, uh, okay, well, what am I supposed to give now? You're supposed to give first. Basically, I will figure out if I'm doing it well, how to live on 90% of my income, whatever my income is. You read through, uh, there's the parable of the talents, uh, and the master gives the servants talents, and he, one he gives five bags, one he gives two bags of silver, and one he gives one bag of silver. And the idea there is, look, you may have more than I do, but I am called to proportionally steward what you've given me. And maybe it's more than some people, and maybe it's less than some people, but I'm called to steward it. I can't say, well, that guy has more, so I'll let him cover my share but I'm called to steward what I've been given. And 
We look at this in 1 Corinthians 16 too, this idea of first fruits. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, I won't have to take a collection, basically saying the idea of, so that, that when I come, there won't be any excuses like, oh, I didn't have any left over. I didn't have any left over, so, um, you know, you get what you get or you don't get anything this month or this week or whatever it is because I didn't, um, I didn't plan ahead. And so this is, this is God's way of saying, no, look, first fruits, the first of what you get belongs to me, the first and the best, Okay. We continue. So give generously. That's part of it. You give generously, it's easier to sleep at night. I I mean, if you give generously, it's easier to sleep at night simply because you can say, I know that I'm doing what God's called me to do. Second, save wisely. Part of managing your resources well in a way that honors God is saving. Part of managing your resources well is saving. Proverbs 21.5 tells us good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Good planning, hard work. You work, you save, you plan ahead. The idea there for plan um, has the idea of an emergency. You should have an emergency fund. You should have money set aside. It should not ruin you when your car breaks down. It should not ruin you when your furnace breaks. Because God says, I've provided for you. Part of my provision for you, part of what helps you sleep at night, is going to bed knowing that when there's an emergency, you're going to be okay. So, good planning, hard work lead to prosperity. You know what happens when you haven't planned ahead and your car breaks down? You charge it. problem with that is that all of a sudden then shortcuts like charging it lead to poverty because that car repair that cost you $400 today you're still paying for three years from now but God says you want to sleep well at night then you plan well you you give well and you save well now I want to give you a word of caution here some of you save too much And I don't really want to fight with financial analysts who say, well, you can never save too much, but some of you save too much because what you do is you you decide that you need to save because that is how you will always provide for yourself. And so what happens is you save at the expense of being generous. That's never God's provision. We save, okay, but we give first. First fruits go to God. After that, we save. Uh, I I had somebody tell me once, and this isn't a hard, fast rule, but I would say this is something you could consider that you ought to be trying to give as much as you save. And I'm not suggesting that all of your giving has to go to one place, but there are a lot of ways to be generous. You can be generous by helping out somebody who needs support. You can help out, you can be generous by supporting missionaries um, as they go to work overseas. You can be generous by participating in above and beyond campaigns like the one for the building, or you can be generous in any number of ways. But God calls us to be generous and save, but not save at the expense of being where he's called us to be. And then last, we have this one. This is everybody's favorite. Third practical thing that will help us sleep well at night. We give generously, we save 
um, appropriately, and, and now we, we spend appropriately. You'll, you'll notice that, that two and three kind of go together, but look at Proverbs 21.20. The wise have wealth and luxury. Fools spend whatever they get. How many of you have kids? Who's got kids? Either at home or they were at home before, you know, you, you remember. How many of them had jobs at some point in time? How long did they hold on to their money? Aubrey, love Aubrey. Aubrey works hard. Aubrey is a, a, a sixth grade kid who took a job this school year. So she goes from the middle school and she walks kids home and then she babysits them three days a week until their dad gets home um, and, and all of this. So instead of being out playing with her friends, doing, she's doing this three days a week regularly and she gets paid. And then she gets her money and by the time she gets home, Like, literally. She gets home with her cash, and she hands it to her mom, and she says, I bought this on Amazon, so here's the money for it. And you know what? When you're 12, that's not a bad way to do it. But something that we're supposed to learn as we get older is that that's not the way it's supposed to work forever. We spend appropriately. We spend appropriately because we know that instant gratification isn't going to satisfy for very long. And so we start to make difficult choices. And sometimes difficult choices are rooted in the idea. This is why we started philosophically with understanding what's happening in your heart with these things and what Satan is telling you and what the, the culture fit. The culture fit? That's my, counter of, uh, my culture of counterfeit when you bring it together. It's a culture fit trademarked. That's what, that's what this culture of counterfeit and Satan, they lie to you and they, you need that. You need that right now. You need that. And so we, we, we tend to, we tend to not do what we would tell our kids to do. We tell our kids to be wise and be prudent, right? To have some self-control and to save and not to buy the biggest and the best necessarily, but sometimes littler is, is better. And, and, and we tell them to be careful about this, but we don't because the culture says you want it. Culture says you need it. Culture says you got to have it. You deserve it. It's the thing you've been missing. It's the thing that's going to make your life work. But it's a lie. And we understand this, that we, we have to save appropriately. The wise have wealth and luxury. Fools spend whatever they get. They spend it immediately, and oftentimes they spend more than they have. So the last thing that we have to talk here about the thing that causes us to lose sleep is this idea of debt. And look, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now here's the deal, okay? This doesn't translate very well for us culturally because in this instance, at that time, in that culture, when you borrowed, you were borrowing out of a position of being destitute. You didn't borrow. That's, that didn't happen unless you were needing to borrow. And what happened is you would have to put yourself as collateral, you'd have to put your home and your land as collateral, or you would sometimes, because the culture was different, you would put your family as collateral. And if you couldn't pay your debt, you risked being thrown into something called a debtor's prison. Okay? And so the idea of borrowing now, culturally, is a little different than it was then. 
Okay, but here we see that the rich rule over the poor and borrowers slave to the lender. So the biblical admonition here is be careful about borrowing. Don't put yourself in a position of compromise through your borrowing. Now we're smart enough to know that culturally there are good ways to borrow. Sometimes we need to borrow in a way that it gets us something productive. Mortgages are a prime example of that. We borrow for homes. Maybe we borrow for cars. I need a car so I can get to work and I can get where I need to be and I can be productive and I can make money and I can be what I'm supposed to be doing here as the leader of my family, okay? So sometimes we would say debt is okay, but we gotta be really careful about this, don't we? Here's the idea, right? Just because they'll let you borrow it doesn't mean it's a good idea. Carrie and I first bought a home we ended up buying a home that cost $110,000. That's a lot of money. I thought it was a lot of money. We went to get approved for the mortgage, pre-approved, and they're like, well, congratulations. You, you can buy a house that costs $185,000. I'm like, man, we've run the numbers. Like 110 is like pushing it. You're wanting to give us $75,000 more. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? While it's appropriate to borrow and to be in debt for things, it may not be appropriate to extend yourself as far as you might possibly go. It's true for everything. It might be true for college. You know, I could go to a private college that cost me $40,000 a year. Or... Perhaps I can go to Kirkwood for a couple of years. And maybe I'll still have to borrow, but my borrowing will look significantly different for those couple of years. Right? I could move out when I'm 18 and move into the dorm. Or if my parents will let me, it's a big if, maybe I should stay home and save some. See, what happens with debt is it, it, it piles and it feels insurmountable, okay? And, and one of the things we have to understand is that debt's normal. Look at this. The average consumer debt, it's upwards of $250,000. That's average. Some of us look at that and we're like, wow, that would be nice. Maybe if you've been a little more careful, you look at that and say, oh, and that's, that's crazy, but whatever it is, that's average. That's normal. It's hard to get sleep at night when that's hanging over your head. And so what God does is he says, you need to give generously. That's first and foremost. Don't wait till this is all done. Give generously. First fruits. Second, you, you save, okay, because you save wisely. That gives you this buffer, this emergency, this thing that you can build into. And then you spend appropriately so that you don't end up here. And if you're here, you spend appropriately so that you can get out of it. 
If you're sitting here and you happen to be one of those that's, man, I am there and I'm stuck and I'm not sure what to do about it, let me invite you. There is a uh, small group happening over the summer. You know, for each one of these weeks, we've had a small group that addresses it. Um, we have a small group happening over the summer, Financial Peace University, that will start to address some of these issues with budgeting and spending appropriately and thinking about things differently and debt snowballs and how to start getting yourself out of some of this stuff. would encourage you, it's very biblical, would encourage you to attend that and be thinking about that if this is somewhere you find yourself. But I want you to be able to sleep at night. That happens when you understand that your stuff will never satisfy your soul. The only thing that satisfies your soul is the God of the universe. It happens when you start to understand that you are called to give generously first, you are called to save wisely, and you are called to spend appropriately. Okay, Spending appropriately feeds the, those other things. It's, it's, it's all part of how this works. When you do those things, even if they're hard, and even if you end frustrated at times, when your head hits the pillow, you will feel confident and you'll sleep well, and you won't toss and turn, and you won't have to wonder because you'll know that you are following the plan that God has laid out for you. That's where all this comes from. Look, God doesn't promise that it will be easy. He doesn't promise that, it will, that, that there will never be headaches or frustrations along the way, but what he promises is when you do it my way, that you're doing it right. And when you do it my way, ultimately, good will come from it, okay? So that's where we are, and this, this is the last thing that I'll just remind you about here as, as we prepare to close, is that thinking about doing money God's way can be scary, because we are hardwired to think that God wants from us. The thing I need you to remember is that, no, 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 the truth is that, that this causes you ease in your soul, in your spirit, because the reality is that God wants for you. And God has demonstrated that time and time again. And I'm going to walk you through this very quickly as the praise team and as Malia uh, come up and, and prepare to, to close us in the service and do our offering and announcements. Here's the deal. God wired you for eternity. He puts eternity in your heart and he tells you that's what you need. Then because of our sinfulness and we can't get there, what he does is he sends his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to provide a way for us. If you are here today and you are stuck in this cycle of money, 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 I, I gotta get more, I gotta collect more, I gotta have more because that's how I get satisfaction, then I'm gonna tell you, you need to stop and you need to take the biblical content seriously that says, no, 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 money won't do it, but you are hardwired for eternity. That hole that you have, that longing that you have, it's for something bigger than you. It's for eternity. It's something this temporary world can never provide, no matter how flashy and how exciting it is. It's something that only the God of the universe can provide, and he did so through Jesus Christ on the cross. None of this makes sense if you are not rooted in Christ. If you are here this morning and you are not a Christian, I don't expect this to resonate with you. I don't expect this to make sense for you because the only way this works is if you understand that your big basic need was provided on the cross by Christ and that's what works. And if you need that this morning, there is no time like now. I'm gonna pray for us, okay? And as we pray, listen, if you are at a point where you're like, you know what, I've never really decided to follow Jesus. I've never really trusted him and you're... Today can be the day for that. Make that decision. You know, and if you make that decision in your heart today, then that longing is still going to be there, but the satisfaction for it is found in Jesus, and you don't have to chase other things. 
Okay? And if that's you and you're making that decision this morning, I want you to talk to me. Don't go away without talking to me. Let's have a conversation about it. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have hardwired us for eternity. And then because you love us, you have provided a way for us to experience it, to experience rightness in our relationship with you, to experience peace with the God who creates everything, to experience relationship. And not just for now, but for all of eternity. That's a passion that you put in our hearts and then you gave us a way, you gave everything so that we could experience it. I thank you, Father. If there are people here that need to enter into a relationship with you, I pray that this morning, that right now, that they would trust and follow Jesus, that they would acknowledge in their hearts that they're sinful and that they make mistakes. And they would acknowledge that they can't get to you because of those mistakes. And Father, I pray that they would, they would submit themselves to Jesus Christ and, and that they would thank him for his sacrifice on the cross and they would trust that all of their punishment was put on him and that they would commit to following him and living a life that honors him and that chases him and that tries to do things his way. Father, and as they do that, I pray that you would just affirm in their hearts that that makes them right with you and that that fills their need. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen.